Welcome back to Break the Twitch. I am your host, Anthony Ungaro, and this is an interview-based podcast on intentional lifestyle design. In each episode, I sit down with an amazing guest who shares their expertise and personal experiences on how they minimize distractions, build effective habits, and find their creative flow. So you can too. In this episode, number 31, I talk with Mike Pacchioni, a professional keynote speaker and storytelling consultant. Mike shares how he went from graduate school to flying around the world for seven years, giving presentations on how to give presentations. Pretty meta, right? We talk about ways to minimize the twitch so we can actually get important things done and the intersection between our digital devices and the prevalence of busyness culture. Using examples from great movies and impactful historical figures, Mike shares the key elements of powerful storytelling and his secrets for how to give a killer presentation that will leave everyone feeling inspired and ready to take action. Whether you want to get better at giving presentations or simply convincing your partner to get a dog, this episode is an essential listen for you. Speaking of listening, have you ever been listening to a great podcast episode and right when the conversation gets really good, it's interrupted by the host reading a script trying to sell you an internet mattress or an ingredient and recipe at-home meal service? There are a lot of ways to make a podcast happen, and that is one of them. But here at Break the Twitch, we really want our listeners to have a distraction-free experience which is why we created the member community. I would love to personally invite you to join the wonderful group of humans in our online community. And in doing so, get access to a huge library of private online courses, audio content, and more. Not only do you get to feel good about supporting sponsor-free content and making our work possible, but it's really a great deal too. Get access to everything for about a burrito per month, and you can cancel any time. Just go to breakthetwitch.com slash community to see what's included and join us. That's breakthetwitch.com slash community to find out more. But for now, let's start the show. met in Jupiter, yeah. uh, Florida for Think Better, Live Better yeah. in 2017. And we've met up a couple times since in Minneapolis and other places. So that's been pretty cool. And I know it's fun when you have a friend that you stay in different states. Yeah. yeah. And now we're here in Portland where you live. You have been doing some interesting things and I feel like we're catching you in a pretty transitional part of your life yes, right now. Truth. Let's, let's kick back to a little before now, several years before actually, to what you were doing professionally. Oh, yeah. And how you got into that. Okay, so what I do for a living is I coach people on presenting. I give keynotes myself. Public speaking is labeled as the number one fear. I don't know how official any of these rankings are, first of all. Like, I, like 80% I of facts are made up. Yeah, like, I just doubt I just doubt someone with a gun pointed at their head is like, well, at least I'm not delivering the Q3 update right now, right? Like nobody's saying that, but I never had that. I always liked being in front of people, which is strange because I'm not a performer. And if we were at like a dinner party, I would be pretty quiet. But for some reason on stage, like I'm able to think well, it, it's actually where I feel the most comfortable, which is odd. Hmm. Never knew it was something you could do for a job. So I went to graduate school. I was teaching a college class. I had a guy from Nike who sat in on my class. 
he comes up to me during a break and he's like, I'm not usually in your class. My girlfriend is I actually work at Nike. I'm in charge of bringing in presenters from time to time. Would you want to present on campus? So like Nike world campus, that's the type of speech that you want to, you want to nail. And I didn't quite nail it. What it was is, like, a, it what was does like, that mean? Well, it was the first time in my life that I can remember feeling intimidated by the moment. Not intimidated, like I freaked out and couldn't remember my name, but just, I, I distinctly remember being on stage, spotlights on me and stuff. And I'm looking out at the audience and thinking, am I supposed to be entertaining them right now? Like people aren't writing things down. Am I screwing this up? Mm. So that was like 2011, 2010, 2011. Now that I'm on the other end of it, I, I can see what was actually happening, which is like, number one, I'm supposed to be leading them, which I'd always done naturally, but suddenly I was at Nike and I, I started having like extra thoughts about this. Number two, like when people are learning things, this is one of the biggest things I've learned. When people are learning things, like what does the look of that person's face appear to be? Oh. Because what you want, what everybody pictures happening is you walk out on stage, you give this presentation, everybody's got this big smile on their face. That's not what people look like when you're learning. You know, you think about being in college or wherever, you're learning something. You're not sitting there like, oh, this is great. I love this. I can confirm this. I gave one of the well, my second ever kind of lecture at a college. This one was on entrepreneurship at North Dakota State University. And I'm pretty sure I, I had to like turn it up and turn it up yeah. and turn it up because I, I felt that exact thing. Yeah. Like everyone, the students were not giving me the same kind of thing that I was expecting. Maybe they were learning. There's some good questions, but it, right, yeah. But you're looking out at them and you want people to be like, oh, Anthony, great job. Like thumbs up as you're talking. It doesn't happen. Yeah. So from there, I contacted this company called Duarte in Silicon Valley. They're like the preeminent presentation firm in the world. For seven years, I traveled all over the world teaching people about presentations. And let me tell you something. And this is like going to some of the biggest companies in the world, Google, Apple, Microsoft, insurance companies, credit card companies. That's not what people look like when they're learning. And there were so many times where I did that. And there's some executive, it's usually a guy, some executive that's sitting there and kind of has like the scrunched up nose at some point when he's listening. The little dialogue in the back of my brain is like, oh my gosh, he doesn't like it. Oh, this is, and, and those people, this wasn't every single time, but so many times there was someone who, in the back of my brain, I'm analyzing that person and saying, he hates this talk, comes up to me during a break like, man, this is great. Like this is changing my life. There is such thing as analyzing the audience and adjusting and you should do that, but you can't literally jump into their brain. So on some level, when you're presenting, like you have to have faith that your material is good and deliver it as if you know it's good. But if you're looking for the audience to lead you there, that's a disaster. So stand-up comedians are the best presenters. Or at least the good one, like Chris Rock. Can you imagine if Chris Rock like wasn't confident in his punchline? Like, well, we're not talking about wealth. We're talking about, you know, like, can you imagine that? Like that? Yeah. That's a disaster. So I did that for seven years. Uh, stopped doing it because we had our first child in June. It's three months old now. Um, so I, yeah, so that's big thing, big transition. Seven years, flew all over the world. There was never, I've been married four years. There was never more than a month straight that my wife and I were together. And now it's been three months, which has been awesome. Um, but now I'm coaching people individually. So a lot of that stuff that I learned at Duarte, and like, frankly, I was pretty good at this already, um, helping people one-on-one -on -one with all of this. And it's so fun, but this is such a challenging stage of life. So you transition out of Duarte. You have a son. You 
are now switching to consulting with doing this so that you can be home more, I would imagine. Yeah. That's a lot of transition all happening at the exact same time. Uh, totally. <laughs> so what has that been like to, to ask broadly? I'm learning so much right now about what is possible in one day. I've always had more going on than the average bear. Even when I was working in Duarte, I was usually working with someone on the side. I had plenty of friends and I was trying to keep in touch with friends, keep in touch with people in Portland, out of Portland, um, working on personal things, right? Like there's always, always a lot. It's funny. I got married later than average in life. I mean, I wasn't like 60 or something, but I got married when I was 35. I was single for a while. When I was single, I had a lot of time. I didn't realize I had a lot of time, but I built up some habits then. Like one of those was just, there was always more time to do things. If I didn't get stuff done during the week, whatever, time is my own. Saturday, I'll be fine. Sunday, I'll be fine. Get married, there's still some of that. Kid, it's like, I get maybe six hours a day. All of a sudden, a lot of these things that I said yes to, and I don't fault myself for saying yes. I think a lot of them are good. Keeping up with friends is good. Meeting friends for lunch is good. Helping some college student who wants to know about what I do and how they can get into that, that's good. But man, when I have six hours a day optimistically, and that'll, that number will go up at some point, but right now it's like five or six hours a day. It's like if I had 30 post-it notes on the table, each of those is an hour-long assignment. Like, you can't just give those away. And some of those actually are, right? So it's 30 hours, but I mean, I need to eat in there. I need to take breaks in there. So it's not actually 30 hours to do work. It's a lot. I'm learning a lot right now about what I should say yes to mm. and how to say no. I know like every entrepreneur is like, you got to learn to say no, man. Like say no to clients. Blah, blah. And that's fine. And it's accurate. But I've liked saying yes to things. Yeah. It doesn't generally stress me out. I just I think on some level, it's like when I was a, OK, so I'm a comic book dork. I'm a really oh. comic book guy. Um, my brother was. I never got as into it, but I had some. So I wasn't a big one. Like, what were your comics? I mean, like Superman, Spider-Man. Okay. Those kind of classics, right? Yeah, yeah. So, it, like, eight-year-old Anthony, like, Anthony, you can have any superpower. What are you probably choosing? I probably wanted to be, like, invisible. Or, invisible yeah. or flight or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, totally. Yeah, that's what most people chose. There was this comic called X Factor hmm. that had this loser character named Multiple Man. Okay. His power is exactly what it sounds like. He can multiply himself. Okay. So he doesn't have super strength or anything. Just he can literally multiply himself. Have more of the same problem. More of the. There's <laughs> <laughs> literally like a human. You can just make more of the same human. Like against Superman. But I feel like that I, doesn't. But I feel like I see where this is going. Right. That was the power that I wanted. Hmm. I have tried to squeeze in more than most people do. Yeah. And I'm learning now that there are limits to that. What are some of the limits you've been running into? And what are some of the things you've tried to fit in? One of those is like, I, I have to have a filter right now for, is this going to help me make money? Hmm. Or is this going to help me relax? Like, those are two things. So a lot of the, the okay, so there was a, a woman who's in college who heard me on a podcast and was like, this was really good. Um, can you help me with our class project? That, that was never going to make me money, right? But I think in the past, I'd be like, it would be really fun to just help this help this and then probably 20 year old come up with a killer presentation and just 
nail it in front of the class. And everybody's like, oh my gosh. Because public speech, like I taught public speaking for nine years. Nobody gives good speeches. Yeah. Everybody's up there awkwardly. And like, what if I could help this girl just stack it? But there's not, there's not, there's not time for that right now. So <clears throat> I think what I've stumbled on is like, I can do one hour a week that's like helping somebody else out there. But outside of that, like I have to be writing stuff. I have to be networking. I have to be producing stuff, creating. Like that's what most of my week has to be. It's funny because you're talking in it, like in the language of break the twitch, you're talking yeah. about literally the remove distractions, minimalism, yep. habits, the like showing up each day, doing the totally. thing that you know will get you closer and then creating creativity, creating the things that become assets for you to put it like you're literally yeah. like <laughs> to, doing <laughs> the thing totally without probably even realizing. Like, no. Oh, that's totally true. Yeah, oh, that's so good. I love how this in every almost every guest on this podcast, I can like, oh my gosh, you're like doing this and that. There's like the moment like, oh, <laughs> well, the Twitch is strong, man. It is. Especially when you work from home. And like for me, all of a sudden, okay, so my wife was on maternity leave for three months. And this is week number one of being home alone. So it's just me and the dog. So there's like this temptation to just be like, oh, it's quiet. I'm not going to have to bounce a child. And then I don't mean that in a, like I shouldn't have been doing it, but just literally there's a, there's a break where time is mine. So it's tempting to have the Twitch dude. Yeah. To have it just fill those in between moments. All right. So let's talk strategy because now you have this block of time Mm -hmm. where you have someone, I think watching the kid nanny. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so how are you optimizing that time? And I know this is pretty fresh, but yeah, probably thinking a lot about it right now totally and well and it's hard because also the time of day where i do my best work is no longer available to me like i was always really good like 6 30 to 8 30 i don't have that time anymore like right now that is not a possibility have you read that damn pink book what is it called when no i haven't oh it's super interesting so it's like most people are either morning people or night owl type people so night owl person is like your Mike Vardy productivity person who loves doing work late into night. That is not me. That was me in college, but that is not me anymore. Oh, so it switched. Uh-huh. So, and I, I realized that like he details like the, the patterns of certain people. And I'm like, one of them is like, oh, he is describing me exactly. So um, really good until about 11 o'clock. Uh, I can, I have some energy until noon, do well right after lunch. And then the rest of the day is like... I'm not great. Well, I have to just figure that out. So what I'm trying to do right now is uh, take the dog for a run after I drop, after I drop my wife and my wife off at work and drop Luca off at uh, the nanny, take the dog for a run so that I like get energy up so that I can come home like 1030. I can start straight on creative work, but that, that time needs to be sacred, like sacred creative time. So what I've realized is I'm much better off doing all my phone call type stuff in the afternoon. But for sheer hard creative work, afternoon is not good for me with that. That's pretty common, I think, having like the afternoon slump for a lot of people. And as we've adjusted to an earlier schedule, I've been pushing ourselves earlier and earlier because Amy and I work together. We're both Mm -hmm. sort of night owls by default. Oh, that's interesting. When I get up earlier... And, and by earlier, I mean, I'm getting up at like eight and, you know, and working. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I was thinking about this today. I was like, 
I was walking the dog at like 8.45 and I was just thinking about how in college I was like, man, I used to have trouble getting up for like a 9.15 class. <laughs> right. That's Anthony. So we're pushing ourselves <laughs> earlier. You know, it used to be like we'd start our work day at 10, yeah. but we'd also be up until two easily, mm. just like doing some work still from yeah. midnight to two. And so we've adjusted that earlier. And I found that generally as I get up and get more done earlier in the day, I feel better and yes. and start off on a better foot anyway, instead of it being 11 and especially in Pacific time, half the world's day is already over totally. and I'm just starting, like, it was not working. Maybe that's actually a big part of the reason for the shift um, is the time change from Central. Yeah, that's super interesting because sometimes I have to take calls in the morning because someone, like I'm working with someone right now who lives in Toronto. Like I can't just be like, well, okay, I'll take a call at six your time. <laughs> like that doesn't work. All right. That's interesting to think about. But I do think that most people schedule meetings in the morning and most people schedule phone calls in the morning. Why? Yeah. That's the purest, like, yeah, controlled time. Yeah. Like, Monday morning is my very best time for doing work. Hmm. I don't want to take a phone call at 9 Monday morning. That's giving away my best time. Well, I think when you take on like email or calls yeah that can totally redirect your day yeah because you don't know what's going to come right. of those things so if you save that time in the morning to just like protect what you're doing yeah. and and just structure that around the work you know you need to do i mean why not that seems like the right solution yeah totally well and it's like the last two years for lent i've given up texting in the morning <laughs> That doesn't seem like that should be a thing that's that makes that much of a difference. But oh my gosh, am I more focused? Yeah. So long way to say for me, it's protect the morning for other people. It won't be that, but I identify with what you're saying where it's like, it's 11 o'clock, it's 12 o'clock. You haven't done anything. All of a sudden you're like, oh, that's a waste. Yeah. Structuring this stuff. It really is very personal. Yeah. It's, it's very dependent on, you know, how you work best and figuring that out. So if you had, if you had a team like, let's say you were managing 90 people. Well, you would never manage 90 people, but let's yeah. say, let's say you had 90 people. So like everybody should structure their own day. There has to be some level of compromise with a bunch of people. I guess that's what I'm saying. How would you ever figure that out? Yeah, that's a really good question. In fact, that's a question I got during a, a thing I was doing recently. Oh, really? How do you structure a team to also respect communication boundaries yeah. and times and let people do their best work and optimize for that? Because you are losing productivity if you don't. Right. right. What did, did you have an answer? No, <laughs> no, because obviously you can generally work to create rules and things yeah. like that, but everyone works so differently and there kind of just has to be an ebb and flow. And I'm definitely just not a professional in that area right. in terms of management consulting. What would you think, <clears throat> this is me just like sharing an idea. Yeah, yeah. What would you think if everybody got uh, almost like a coupon where it was like you get an hour a week or an hour a day, like nobody can disturb you? Yeah. Does that work? I mean, that's ideal. Maybe that works. Just like an hour completely off. Yeah. Some people might just nap. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. This is the whole thing. Like working from home and nap is a good use of time. Oh, yeah. For sure. Avoid. I've really avoided naps and I'm trying to do it more when I need it. Like uh -huh. just kind of stop. Yep. And this is hard, obviously, if you're in an office environment. But working from home, yeah, it's like I will push through and just struggle with something right. when I'm just exhausted. Right. And it's like. Why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. I, I could just stop, pause for a bit, go for a walk around the block, and then 
come back to it, you know? See, because I've noticed in my own life, the twitch happens when I'm tired. Mm. Sure. When you're worn down. Yeah. So that's like a mental note to myself. Instead of having the twitch, like take a nap, man. Yeah. Or, or walk around the block. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, for sure. So that brings up an interesting thought because I know that you had a pretty relevant and interesting thesis for grad school. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, when did I graduate? I think 2005, no, 2006. Anyway, it doesn't matter what year it was, but it was like, it's pre iPhone. My grad school thesis, well, technically it was called a grad school project was on cell phones and friendships. So here, here was the deal. This is back. Do you remember, do you remember when companies like Verizon would uh, they would try to incentivize you. They'd be like, well, you get to talk to your friends for free if they're on Verizon. Right, if you're on the same network. Right. And I remember, and I'd, I'd moved to Portland from Boston. I had all these friends on the East Coast. I hadn't made any friends in Portland yet. I, I'm an extrovert, so I feel like I should be talking to people. And I, so I would, I would walk home from school. I would call people. But I remember that I started self-selecting because I'm like, you know, I only get like, what, what did you get? Like 400 minutes or something? Yeah, 400, 600, Anytime depending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a thing. Anytime minutes. I remember having a distinct moment. My friend Eileen was on Verizon. My friend Rob was on Sprint. I'm like, well, I can't burn. I can't burn Sprint minutes right now. Like, it's like 28 days left in this month. What if I need those? So I called my friend Eileen. And that, anyway, that was the impetus for my grad school thesis, which was, will cell phones affect friendships? And it was that question overall. And then back then when they had those incentive programs, it's like, will incentive programs like this matter, basically? Right. I I went to Portland State, which is right in the park blocks of Portland. It's right where WDS is, actually. And I would just see everybody exits class, gets on the phone. This is pre-texting. Or the texting that was available at the time was, uh, what was that called? T9. T9, yeah. Yeah, like that slow texting. Oh, yeah. Everybody gets out of class, they get on the phone, on airplanes. Second the plane lands, everybody's phone rings. Like, these people talking on the phone. I'm like, okay, well, how is this going to affect friendships? My thought was that there would be a marked significance. Hmm. I would be better friends with Eileen than Rob. That was my assumption. So we go through the whole thing. I'm not going to remember every last detail of it, but sent out surveys to thousands of college students. Presumably... If you were taking a survey and you're doing one of the classic one to five, um, no effect, some effect, et cetera, et cetera, strong effect, presumably like your pen, that relationship on our friendship would be 0.00. Agree? Pretty well agree. Yeah. Seems like it's not that special of a pen. The effect of talking on the phone to someone and like influencing your friendship, becoming stronger friends was 0.01, which is to say... Most people were talking on the phone just to talk on the phone. Wow. Now, so that was, and, and I've wondered, like, has that changed? That was, so there are a couple of things there. That was, that was pre-texting, pre-iPhone. It was college students. So college, just when you're in college, you have a lot more face-to-face -face with friends anyway. Right. You're in much tighter social circles yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. But that always stuck with me. Then what is everybody talking on the phone for? And my guess is it's just to fill time. Because I know texting is. Here's, an, here's a good experiment. Be the last person to board the airplane. Walk down the aisle. Everybody is on their phone. And they're not doing anything. It's texting friends like, yeah, I'm flying to St. Louis right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sucks. Like, that's all anybody's doing. I took over 100 flights a year for seven years. I'd look down the aisle. Everybody's on their phone. Hmm. And 
I doubt if anybody is doing much that's helping friendships that way. You know, I wonder if that shift that happened with smartphones, and I remember there was a defining moment for me, and it was when I think the the Galaxy S2 or whatever came out. It was a pretty early... Which which one's that? So that's Samsung's version of the iPhone. Okay, gotcha. You know, their, their flagship phone. And I remember being out with our group of friends at the time, and seeing this brand new phone that my friend had gotten and the screen was so cool uh-huh. I and mean, it's nothing compared to now right yep. but the screen was so amazing and everything was so cool and and i was like man that's a really cool phone and and like how is it like do you like it yeah and i remember him saying yeah like the graphics are awesome the texting is great and like it takes pretty good pictures the phone call quality is kind of sucks though <laughs> but he was like but it's a great phone <laughs> and and I remember that being a defining moment in my life of like, ooh, this is going to be very different. Oh, this wow. is going to be very world changing, and it's going to completely change how we interact with each other and technology. And now with we have supercomputers in our pockets, right? And communication is stunted and shorter, and um, it just you know we're sending things that, like you said, are not of substance. Yeah. Like we would take the time to slow down and write a letter to someone you're paying for it. You're paying 55 cents now for it or whatever. And yeah, it, it, the shortness and brevity of it, I think, and the, the accessibility of it that constantly have access to it makes us increase the volume. And I see it as this productivity tool. You can answer email from anywhere. You can communicate. It's wild, dude. I, I my friend Kate Flanders and I, she's right now, she's in Europe. She lives in in oh. Canada, BC. Gosh, when that happens, that's the craziest thing. We're on FaceTime, like real time. Yeah. Just talking to each other real time, looking at each other. And that's great because we're not in the same location. Yeah. So we've been able to do that. But the accessibility of it, it's just wild how amazingly connected we are and how much more we have. But I don't know overall that we're all feeling more satisfied with our relationships, that we're getting more done than we were before. Like, I'm not convinced. Oh, there's no way we're getting more done. Yeah. No chance. I mean, some people are, but most people aren't. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, like, when I went to, and think of the most impressive companies in the world, I went to one of them to do a workshop. And here's what would happen on breaks. Okay, you have 12 minutes. So it's meant to be like a break. Use the bathroom, walk around. It's water. Yeah, but it's, no, no, on the phone, or it's on the phone, but not like talking on the phone. It's just doing email and all this stuff. But people are just sending things back and forth to feel productive. Like That's what that is at most companies. But so here's a question for you. So cell phones have obviously helped our friendship because otherwise we don't live in the same city and like, what else are we going to do? Right. But friend from high school, has that helped? I wouldn't say it helps more than anything else. I mean, literally the difference between being able to call someone and talk for a while or you know you have instagram you have facebook so if they post stuff and if they're active you kind of get to keep up but you know you see what they're doing and then you do try to reach out but has it helped i wouldn't say that having a tool of a phone has actually improved the amount of time we communicate rather than what i guess over what like we're not writing letters to each other so yeah i don't know like do i feel as close as I would to them otherwise. I, I don't I don't know. It certainly helped quantity. Like you're just able to quote unquote stay in touch with more people. That's for sure. You want to hear a wild story? I do. So <laughs> my best friend Isaac, 
uh, went to high school together. Um, he was my best man at the wedding. You know, we've been, he lives in LA. And um, so we haven't lived in the same city for, de- uh, you know, well over a decade at yeah. this point. And when we were young and we were first becoming friends, we were hanging out and this was like the early days of Wi-Fi. Okay. <laughs> so I had this IBM laptop kind of deal and it had, I had this Wi-Fi card and I was at his house and I went to the bathroom and this is like early high school. Anthony. Okay, okay. Yeah. I went to the bathroom and took the laptop with me and sent him an email from the laptop while I was in his bathroom and just said, this is when Toy Story was big, <laughs> communication and beyond. Like it was just the most <laughs> random thing because at that point it blew my mind that like I could be on a device not wired uh-huh. into anything in his bathroom and I thought it was hilarious to send him this thing. <laughs> while I was... And like how much have things, I mean, that's such a dumb thing to even consider now. Cause it's like, well, I think probably 75% of people are, are right. on their phone if they're going to the bathroom, if they're sitting down, <laughs> oh. it, you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. That's another one. The amount of business that is done at airport bathrooms. I don't know if people on the phone hear it or not, but I always, I want, I'm not the type of person to do this, but there was like that 2% of me that always wanted to. Someone's on a business deal on the phone in a stall just yelling like dude's talking to you from a stall right now like that happens all the time <laughs> i don't know maybe i'm just lucky but i don't feel like there are that many things that are that urgent we're talking about the culture of busy and um a lot of the action of doing things and being busy and not being busy <clears throat> with intention right because everyone's busy. This keeps coming up on the podcast. Like right. everyone is busy. Well, everyone says that they're busy. No, but like they are, I think. I think they really truly believe that they are and, and okay. they are. But it's just with what? Yeah. And are things getting done? And are we doing things and staying busy with things that... That matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a while. I mean, Courtney Carver, right, talks yeah. about this a lot. She the, the busy, uh, busy diet or she, she talks about like the busy ban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that was always the answer, right? If you are a professional, if you're working, if you're trying to have some impact in this world uh, through earning money for your family or, you know, I say impact very broadly, like you're busy. I think we're all busy, but we're not looking at the landscape. Uh-huh of what the heck are we actually busy with? And I think a big chunk of it often is that just like back and forth communication of- I'm busy with feeling busy, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It just adds up. Okay, do you know the the software program Freedom? Do you know what that is? It's an internet blocker, basically. Yes. So you can, you can restart your computer if you really need to get on the internet. Mm-hmm. But it says, it like pops up the window. It's like, okay, how long would you like to be offline? First time I use it, I was like, Okay, well, and I'm I'm running through the things in my head and how long they'll take me. Like, yeah. Okay. I should do like 75 minutes and then I'll check back in. Do you know how long it took me to get everything done? No, how long? 17 minutes. Funny. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not the world's most efficient person. It's not like I was just able to be like, yeah. I've been helping James Clear with his um with his talk based on his book. That guy, if you buy that book, there are, I don't know, 
18 pages of work cited at the end. Mm-hmm. He did so much research for it. Yeah. And one of the things that he says people walk away with more than anything else, like those moments where people are like, oh my gosh, those hushed tones, is when he tells people, and this is something I know you do, when he tells people, put your cell phone in the other room. Yeah. People, like people's faces die, like feverishly writing that down. Puts, oh my gosh. To kind of cap the the bit we were talking about around productivity and busyness and that kind of thing, I, I mean, again, I have to, in the language of this podcast and Break the Twitch, you know, the Twitch, this thing, it, it seeps into the in-between yeah. moments. And when you can shut it down or, or put intentional things in place to block it out so that you can focus, things get done uh-huh. much faster. You do better creative work. You do, Charlie Gilkey, Gilkey was just talking about this too, yeah. like setting time aside, going to a cafe, turning off the Wi-Fi and, and making it happen. Predating cell phones, I was always susceptible to the Twitch. Like when I was in college and you had a landline in your dorm room. So this is, I went to, I graduated in 2000, right? So um, <clears throat> I was one of those people that would like check voicemail obsessively. Like I walked down the, walk down the hall to someone else's room, came back. Oh, did, did I get a voicemail? Right. So I was like really susceptible. And when I'm, when I'm not going well, I still am. Here's my worst example. I was doing a fantasy baseball draft. It was like eight years ago. I was doing a fantasy baseball draft. I was at my brother's house in uh, in Oakland. There were maybe three hours before we had to leave for the airport. He asked me a question out loud around the same time that I have, that it's my pick in fantasy baseball. So he asked me what time we should leave for the airport. And I don't know, we needed to leave at like 3.30 or something. And it was my pick and I was going to take out Adrian Beltre. So this story sounds reasonable thus far. Here was the problem, Anthony. He asked what time we should go to the airport, and I said Adrian Beltre. And I typed in the little chat box, 3.30, and everybody's like, what are you doing? I had a similar experience before Break the Twitch existed, and it was in the, the early days of starting to put these ideas together, where I was at work at Nice Ride, the bike share company I was working at, Oh, and, this is my favorite story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was typing, doing some, writing yeah. some copy. Someone came into my office and interrupted me. I looked over, had the conversation with them, and then the looked story. back on my screen, <laughs> and I had written Facebook. <laughs> I had typed Facebook <laughs> at the end of the sentence for no reason. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. And that was enlightening. <laughs> and that happened more than once. One of the things that I would do to set the ground rules when I led, <clears throat> or and I still do this, when I lead public speaking workshops is I'm like, you can't be on your phone. Mm-hmm. You can't be on your laptop, which to people in the working world is crazy. Yeah. But the reason why is because basically every study that's been done on multitasking has concluded the same thing. We're not good at it. We're, it's trash. Yeah. We all think we are. No, 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 Mike, I can totally text and listen to you at the same time. No, I mean, sure, you're physically capable of that and your ears don't stop working, but you're not listening. Like you're in two different worlds. Yeah. And I forget what, I forget what the study is on how long it takes your brain to reset from task one to task two. Mm-hmm. Substantial. But like just by focusing on one task at a time, and this is, I'm preaching the choir here, but just by focusing on one task at a time, like that's a huge win. So I'd love to dig in a little bit to your area of expertise. And so let's talk about how people 
maybe can share some stories better, present ideas better, and really do what you do? Well, first of all, I'm hardly the first person to say this, but stories resonate with people better than just a random assortment of facts do. Really surprising facts will stick with people, but more often than not, like stories are your way to go. A big part of storytelling is actually, um, I don't know if I'd call it minimalism per se, but a big part of it is allowing white space in the way that you speak. Mm. Example. Here's how most people tell a story. I went over to my friend Anthony's house and he lived on the second floor. And so we had to walk up a bunch of stairs and then he gave me some coffee. Like, do you hear the way I'm talking? There's not a freaking period. Mm. For most people, any kind of silence is uncomfortable. And actually, that's interesting, Anthony, because it's a bit like for most people not being on their phone or not or just like sitting at a dinner table without your phone is uncomfortable. Put a period on the end of the sentence. Pause for a second. Start the next sentence. Mm. speak that way it's crazy but i really think that is the difference between lots of people like getting their ideas adopted getting funding like truly in the sentence i mean truthfully and this is harder to do than it sounds but picture someone transcribing the way you're speaking you would want a period you would want someone to press space bar you would want to start another sentence that's the way that you should speak most okay. people don't do that I mean, in a way, adding white space. Yeah, it's like verbal white space, really. Hmm. Or like starting another paragraph. Like picture someone pressing enter. Like that should be because you're pausing. So when you're telling a story, like that's a really, really good thing. Okay, so adding white space. And what is it actually that you think makes a good story? The biggest thing is tension and release. Hmm. So if, if you watch, think of your favorite movie. Basically, everyone will do this. Every scene will either create tension or it will release tension. Another way of saying that is there's suspense that gets released. In stand-up comedy terms, there's a buildup and there's a punchline. That should happen all the time in your stories. So, and when I say stories, that can be an individual story or that can be like thinking of a whole 60-minute presentation as a story. Remember the, the Mac PC commercials with like cool Noah Long and the dork John Hodgman? Yeah. There's like the, yeah, but I don't have that, but I do. Yeah, but I don't have that, but I do. Right? Like that's, that's creating tension, releasing tension. Hmm. That's what, I mean, really, that's what goes into a good story. I guess the other thing I should say is there should be some sort of change from the beginning of the talk to the end. A lot of times when I ask people, like, what's your favorite story? People say Breaking Bad. Hmm. If there's no change in Walter White... From C like if he just stays a chemistry teacher the whole time, like nobody's watching that show. <laughs> no one's watching. What that. you're actually watching for is the change in characters from beginning to end. I see. So you should be regularly creating suspense and releasing it. Like there should be a journey for people who are listening to your talk. Yeah. Stories should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. That sounds like the most obvious thing ever. Most presentations don't have that. I mean, they do because you start talking and you stop, but there's not a purposeful beginning or a purposeful ending. Your beginning should push people into the pool. Right off the bat, you should get their attention and you should run with that. And then with you, when you get to the ending, most people, I mean, this is 99% of presentations. The ending is, uh, and that's it. Questions? Or, uh, and that's my speech. Oh, uh, Oh, that's my last slide. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's my last slide. That's it. The beginning and the ending of the speech are the most important parts. There's a reason why movies don't... 
start off with a bunch of bullet points. Like, <laughs> this is Avengers Endgame. In this movie, you're about to see them combat Thanos, but there's a twit, right? Like, there's a reason they don't do that. Like, there might be a really important part in the middle, but I'm just saying, generalizing all presentations, beginning and ending, most important parts. You've got all this momentum at the ending, and you're like, oh, that's it. So think of a movie that you love. So like, oh, this would be a fun one. So for me, this is Wedding Crashers. Movie that's really, really good. And then towards the end, you're like, eh. Office space is a little like that. Like, I might want to just turn it off at about like an hour. Like, that might be a better experience for me. Interesting. I, I've known many to just kind of fade out. Yeah. And that's what happens if you don't think through what your ending is. No. But most people, that's one of the reasons why that's the ending from it. Well, first of all, one reason why is people don't rehearse. Another reason why is because most people write a speech in sequential order. So by the time you get to the end, you're tired of writing this thing. Hmm. And your ending, if there's an ending, it's like, so in conclusion, here are the things we learned today. Man, can you imagine if like Martin Luther King's I Had a Dream ended that way? And so here are things we... <laughs> so today we've talked about how there's racial inequality and like... Wow, yeah. When you have the chance to really motivate your audience, like leave them wanting more. That's what should happen in a talk. And I'm not saying that every speech has to end with free at last, free at last. Like you, like, you definitely have to... Uh, you definitely have to cater that to your audience. I mean, that'd be a weird Q3 update if you're like ending it that way. But there should be some degree of ending that leaves people like, okay, I want to go do work based on what Anthony just said. Right. Like that's how it should end. Hmm. I want to go do something as a result of this talk. Is there a process you follow when you have something you need to present? Is there a general outline or something that you like to go through as you're planning it? Very first thing, you should be able to summarize the whole speech in a sentence. There should be some degree, 99% of speeches, there should be some degree of persuasion, even if it feels informative to you. So even if you were giving a presentation that was like, it was called, so Anthony's presenting at some conference and it's called like, what is the Twitch? Anthony Angara is going to explain what the Twitch is. But you actually need to rephrase it so that you're getting your audience to break the Twitch, even though your assignment is just explaining it. That will be much easier for you. It'll be much easier for your audience. So you should be able to summarize that in a sentence. So in a sentence, I want you audience to break the Twitch. And a simple fill in the blank that you can use, and this will work not every single talk, but most of them, um, <clears throat> fill in the blank like this. We need to, we, meaning me and the people in the room, we need to blank so that blank will happen. We need to break the Twitch so that what? Like you can live you? intentionally. Yeah. Or you can do more of what matters. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, that is... A w instantly that's a way better talk than just what is the twitch yes yeah so you start there my brain this might not end up being in the speech but my brain always from there i want to identify why so picture the audience asking a question why why should i break the twitch right off the bat i should be able to answer i should have at least three reasons why i should break the twitch that may or may not be the bulk of the talk but i need to have that if i can't communicate that to the audience there's a problem yeah and then I like to think through how the audience would resist. So how would the audience resist breaking the Twitch? You know, like, how would they resist? Well, they resist because they feel like for their business, they need to be on it. They feel like they're missing out. Yep. They uh, are addicted to it. <laughs> and they're like, I can't imagine my life without those. Yeah. So that's something I definitely want to address in the talk. And I would probably say it like this. I, because 
it will, nobody will articulate it this way, but it will feel like you have such credibility if you say out loud something like, now I know some of you are thinking, but Anthony, I can't do that. My business is my phone. I understand. Here's what I want you to do. Like just attach, attacking that full on, that's going to be way better than just letting the audience sit there and have that objection and you not talking about it. Yeah. You're, you're like knocking out. It's almost right. like a sales. It is a sales process. It is a sales process, even if it's not a sale. Yeah. But that's what, that's what presenting is. That's what speaking is. We got a puppy because my wife, <laughs> I taught this stuff to my wife and she gave me a really good PowerPoint deck. <laughs> And she, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was like, we're driving home. I'm going to, I mean, we did the whole thing. It was like three days after she did this, we had a puppy. Mm -hmm. We got Barkley. Her deck, she's like, I know you're thinking that we don't have money for this right now, but we have this account that you've never tapped into. We can use that. I know you're thinking you don't have time to train it. But right now, this is when she was, uh, she had finished nursing school and she didn't have her first job yet. I know you're thinking you don't have time to train it, but this is the perfect time because I'm home. And it just, it, it left me like, oh, I guess we should get a dog. So for the Break the Twitch audience specifically, Randy, yeah, how do we drill down on this? So you've got a huge advantage because you're actually thinking about being intentional. Most presenters don't do that. In fact, I think most presenters think of a presentation as a bit of a chore. Or an opportunity to share how smart they are. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's an opportunity to show, like, look at all this stuff I know. That's not what a presentation is. Presentation should be for the audience and it should be trying to help them get excited about your idea, educate them about something, persuade them to do something. Like That's what you should be doing basically every single presentation. It's not just throwing a bunch of slides together. So thing number one, don't do it in front of the computer. Like, Go to a coffee shop, go to another room, put your laptop away, start doing your planning, not in front of the computer. A lot of people like post-it notes. That's great. Legal pad's great. Point is, just don't start in front of the computer. Put your phone in the other room. Uh, that one's probably pretty obvious by now. A big thing, though, and this might contradict the phone in the other room thing, so perhaps I'm saying put it on airplane mode. Uh, use a timer. Hmm. I would give yourself 10 to 15 minutes to brainstorm. Brainstorm without self-editing, just writing down anything you can think of pertinent to the topic. Make sure you focus on the beginning. I would actually write the beginning and the ending at the same time. Because those two things should be bookending each other. If the beginning of the talk is, if Anthony's talking about the Twitch at the beginning, the ending should be showing what the world could look like without the Twitch. Anthony, you referenced that Think Better, Live Better talk that I gave. Um, I'm really proud of that talk. What you don't know is that if I hadn't rehearsed, that talk would have been really lame. Hmm. I'd written out the whole thing. I started rehearsing it, and I'm like, you know, you can, uh, PowerPoint will show you how much time you've spent rehearsing. Hmm. I remember going through it. And uh, as I'm going through, the voice in the back of my head is like, man, it feels like I've been talking for a long time. I looked at the little PowerPoint timer. It said it had been 17 minutes. And I had this moment where I'm like, man, if it feels long to me, how is this going to feel to the audience? <laughs> yeah. You don't find that stuff out unless you rehearse. So I would recommend rehearsing for sure. Rehearse early. 
Like that shouldn't be an hour before all of a sudden I'm going to rehearse. One of the things you learn when you rehearse is that certain things that you thought you were good at talking about might not make as much sense when you're saying them out loud. You might not know it as well as you thought you did. Mm -hmm. You might be spending way too much time on something you could say really quickly. Would you record this yourself doing this as well, potentially? That helps some people, yeah. When I've had a really big deal talk, I've recorded it, I've listened to it in the car, because that enables me to say, man, that this part's taking too long. Hmm. Or like I listened to it on a run. Um, a lot of people will shy away from that, largely because you don't like the sound of your own voice. Consider having someone else do it for you. I went to Pearl Harbor last year. You can actually see <clears throat> uh, FDR... The first line of that that speech, this is the day that will live in infamy. That's not what it originally was. You can see where he crossed it out. I think the original version was, this is a day, like you see like the pencil marks on it. They've got it in the museum. This is a day that will live in history. He's like, that's not strong enough. Most of us don't come up with like this beautiful speech the first time. That's why rehearsing is really good. It's the same thing as beta testing stuff. So yeah. Long way to say rehearse is really important. Rehearsing can be awkward for people. Uh, I would encourage you to speak it really loudly, like own it as you're rehearsing. But for some people, that's really awkward. So if that's the case for you, huge thing I learned is to put music on. It takes away some of the awkwardness. Yeah. What's the wedding rehearsal? What are you doing in a wedding rehearsal? You're just like going through the motions, kind of standing in the places. Yeah. You're rehearsing things like standing, walking. Kissing the bride. Mm -hmm. You do that for a wedding because a wedding matters, but you're rehearsing things that are pretty basic. Right. And yet how many of us, when we're presenting, and it could be something that's a really big deal, presenting in front of thousands of people or pitching some idea to someone who can say yes and it changes the whole trajectory of your life. And how many of us don't ever rehearse this stuff? And when I say rehearse it, I don't mean just like the stuff coming out of your mouth, the words that you're saying. But how many of us don't rehearse? Okay, well, I should walk to this side of the stage at that point. I should have big gestures here. Most of us don't do that. So rehearse the gestures, rehearse the walking around. Um, I would say rehearse until it feels natural. The last tip that I would give to your audience about being intentional with this, it's really hard to sit down, write the whole thing out, and have it be a masterpiece. Give yourself permission to not write it all at once or write a first draft and then come back to it. There are so few people who can just tap out like this awesome speech right off the top of your head. Yeah. So give yourself permission. I'm going to do this for just an hour today. I'm going to see how far I got. I'm going to look at it again tomorrow, or I'm going to look at it again in a week. Give yourself permission to not do it all at once. Mm. And it's also awesome because you'll wind up looking at it with fresh eyes. Pick up on little gaps. Ooh, I left that out. Oh, why didn't I say that story? Oh, I know what I should say there. But that's quite hard to do in the moment. Those are some in incredible tips and ones actually I'm going to directly apply yeah. to, to uh, the next talk I do or, or, you know, whatever, whenever I'm presenting this stuff. I know you have something that you wanted to offer the audience as we're winding down here. Um, and what exactly was yeah, that and where totally. can people find it? Yeah. So as I've gone <clears throat> throughout the world, teaching people this stuff, I realized that there are certain things you get taught public speaking when you're like 18, or maybe if you went to business school, you get taught it again in business school. There are all these things that you get taught there and like, that's a decent foundation, but there's so much more to it. So 
put together an ebook called Seven Stealth Speaking Tips They Don't Teach You in Business School. Um, yeah, I don't want to give any of it away, but there are some little things you can do that have tremendous impacts. So we've talked about some of them on this episode. I would love for your audience to take a look there. You can find that on my website. So it's Mike Talks. My name is Mike. It's not like a microphone. That's like the pun. But yeah, Mike, like the name, MikeTalks.co. MikeTalks.co. Awesome. And so that'll be available there? That'll be available there. All right. And yeah. I assume people can find everything else about you there as well. Everything else. All yeah. right. Everything else. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, at this point, I think I'm going to have you answer a question. Oh, I love it. And so if you want to go ahead and draw from the question bowl there, and we'll see what you get. What problem or challenge would you like to impact through your work in the next year? Pam Slim, smiley face. Um, <clears throat> there's some people with some great ideas out there. And I'm thinking about some companies that I'm helping right now that like, these could legitimately help the world. And I don't mean helping the world... There, there are little ways to help the world. Like, oh, here's a coupon you can use on a website. No, I mean, like, legitimately help the world, help lives in the world, help people to stay alive. And the tricky thing is some of the people with the best ideas have the hardest, hardest time communicating them. So the, the thing that I'd like to impact through your, my work in the next year, can I say the world? Well, <laughs> what I'm trying to, what I, what I would like to do is to help those people with really great ideas that could help the world get closer to like cancer being solved. They could get closer to a safer world. Could get closer to people doing work that they find fulfilling. I mean, I'm just thinking of um, one entrepreneur I'm helping right now. She's speaking in front of 8,500 people. 8,500 people who want to be able to be self-employed. Uh, you and I would both vouch for the part that self-employed is hard, but it's pretty cool to be able to create a life that way. Oh my gosh, what if what if she can nail that talk and can help even like a thousand of those people feel more fulfilled, run their own company, do the work they're supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty awesome responsibility. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming on podcast sharing all coming these to portland anthony tips and everything it's uh it's fantastic and a lot of takeaways from this one so thank you thank you and thanks for the work that you do